So this chapter continues on from chapter 3, where God's just appeared to Moses in flames of fire from within a bush and tells him that he will rescue the Israelites um, from the Egyptians and bring them into their own land. Exodus 4, starting at verse 1. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. Then Moses went back to Jephro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt... See that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. 
So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say, and also about all the signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had sent to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labour? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make them work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, Why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realised they were in trouble when they were told, You are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labour. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with flattering lips or faltering lips? Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. These were the heads of their families. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn son of Israel, were Hanuk and Palo, Hezron and Carmi. These were the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, and Shul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These were the clans of Simeon. These were the names of the sons of Levi, according to their records. Gershon, Koath, and Merari. Levi lived 137 years. The sons of Gershon by clans were Libni and Shimei. The sons of Koath were Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Uziel. Koath lived 133 years. The sons of Merari were Mali and Mushi. These were the clans of Levi, according to their records. Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed, who bore him Aaron and Moses. Amram lived 137 years. The sons of Ishar were Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. The sons of Uziel were Mishael, Elzaphan, and Zithri. Aaron married Elisheba, daughter of Aminadab and sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. The sons of Korah were Aziah, Elkanah, Abiasaph. These were the Korahite, these were the Korahite clans. Eleazar, son of Aaron, married one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phineas. These were the heads of the Levite families, clan by clan. It was this Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, this same Moses and Aaron. Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, 
Since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. So I read God's word. Well, why don't I pray before we start? Father, we thank you that you are the speaking God. We thank you that we have your word with us tonight. We thank you for the freedom that we have in this land to meet together, to read your word, to hear it, and to learn of you. And Father, we realize that we need your help to hear rightly. So we pray, Father, that you would, through your Spirit's work, open our ears and soften our hearts. You would enlighten the eyes of our heart as we look at your word tonight. Amen. Well, thank you to our readers. That was a bit of a a mammoth passage to get through. And if you're here tonight, and actually the Bible and Christianity is is fairly new to you, what we're doing in this uh, series of evening services is looking at the Bible's account of how, back in the second millennium BC, a group of probably about a million people descended from a man called Abraham, this group of Israelites, were delivered out of oppressive slavery in Egypt. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, great. That all sounds very interesting and might make for a good documentary on the History Channel or BBC4 or one of those other channels that not many people watch. But what's that got to do with me? And that is an excellent question. You see, this Old Testament rescue that we're looking at on Sunday evenings is the prototype for a much greater rescue that would come later. It's like the trailer for, it's like the preview of a far greater rescue. A rescue that, in fact, is in progress right now and is of the utmost importance for you. Because you see, the Bible tells us that by nature we are enslaved. Uh, We're in a slavery, in fact, that's far worse than the physical slavery that the Israelites were under in Egypt. Now, that might sound completely crazy to you. I mean, how how can we be in a slavery that's that's worse than being forced to, to make bricks under the scorching Egyptian sun? Um, under the gaze of taskmasters with whips. I, I mean, life in Chessington's not perfect, but it's not quite that bad. But the Bible tells us that, that we're enslaved to sin. Sin is, is that desire to, to be king over our own lives. 
to do what we want to do when we want to do it, and which willfully ignores and rejects the God who created us and who gives us all good things. And the thing is, we, we can't escape from being sinners. We can't stop following our own path and disregarding God. We, we can't stop failing to live up to even our own standards, let alone God's. We can't break ourselves out of that particular jail. And neither can we escape the consequences of our sin. Because, you see, the, the only right and just way for a holy and eternal God to respond to the rebellion of sin is with an eternal judgment when we die. The great news of the Bible, the good news of Christianity, is that this same God who we've rejected and offended and whose judgment we stand in line to receive has intervened in our world through Jesus Christ to rescue us, uh, to save us from this slavery to sin and its horrendous consequences, uh, and to bring us into the loving, eternal relationship with God that we were made for. See, this passage about God's original prototype rescue will teach us about this God who saves. And it will point beyond itself to to the far greater rescue that's so important for all of us here and now. So grab your Bibles and let's take a look at this passage. We're going to see in this account how, first of all, that God saves his people by sending a rescuer. But that actually, the real hero of this rescue is God himself. If you were here last week, you'll remember that we we looked at this encounter between Moses and God at the burning bush in the wilderness, where God tells Moses that he's heard the groaning of his people and that he's sending Moses to deliver the people from their slavery. Flip back to chapter 3 and verse 10. God says, So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And you'll remember that this encounter at the burning bush is no one-way conversation. Moses asks God questions. First, he says uh, there in verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And then in 3 verse 13, he asks, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And in that amazing passage that we looked at last week with Ben, God reveals his personal name to Moses. I am who I am. And when we pick up the narrative at the start of chapter 4, Moses is still at the burning bush. And he still hasn't finished with his questions to the Lord. Look at 4 verse 1. What if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? 
And so God provides Moses with three miraculous signs to to authenticate his calling from God. He provides him with a staff that uh, he takes his staff and turns it into a serpent. He gives him the ability to, to transform his hand from healthy to diseased and back again. And he gives uh, the ability to turn Nile water into blood. He gives him these signs to convince the people that he's actually met with God. But Moses isn't finished. Look at 4 verse 10. Pardon your servant, Lord. I, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Moses is claiming that he doesn't have the gifts of speech needed for this great task. But God reminds him where the power to speak comes from. Look at verse 11. Who gave human beings their mouths? Who who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. God promises that he himself will be with Moses and will teach him what to say. But it it becomes more and more clear as the conversation goes on that Moses isn't just responding with some kind of uh, false modesty that we Brits are so traditionally good at. No, no, it becomes clear that the questions and concerns that Moses is raising are really just a way to avoid this call. Unfortunately for Moses, at every turn, the Lord graciously provides the answer to his worries until Moses is uh, forced eventually to say what's really on his heart. Look at verse 4, verse 13. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. I mean, undoubtedly, being rejected once before by Israel and spending 40 years in obscurity in the wilderness can dent a man's confidence. But no man alive at that time has had the personal name of God revealed to him as Moses has. No man has been provided with the power and presence of the Lord to accompany him as Moses has. And yet here he stands on holy ground before the creator of the universe and he says, could you just send someone else? I mean, what a cheek. How faithless. How cowardly. How like us. We, we perhaps have this picture in our minds of Moses, the great and courageous leader. Maybe something like Mel Gibson as William Wallace in Braveheart, crying freedom. But what this passage shows us is that Moses is not so much William Wallace. He's more Private Godfrey from Dad's Army. Would you mind terribly, sir, if I could be excused? Look at the Lord's reaction to Moses' request in 4 verse 14. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. But much as Moses might have hoped that God would look to someone else now, um, there's no such let-off for him. God again graciously provides. 
He appoints Moses' brother Aaron as his spokesperson to do the public speaking for Moses. So Moses finally gives in and accepts God's call and sets off back to Egypt. God calls his rescuer, but that rescuer turns out to be something of a reluctant coward. But there's worse. You see, not only is Moses a reluctant rescuer, he's also a disobedient rescuer. After he leaves to head back to Egypt, we get this, frankly, disturbing instant on the road to Egypt. Look with me at 4, verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. God is ready to kill his chosen deliverer, Moses. What on earth is going on? We remember that the Lord had told Moses that he was going to now deliver Israel from Egypt because of the solemn promises that he'd given to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob when he made that covenant with them. And Moses would have known that the the sign of that covenant was circumcision. He would have known that all male children born under that covenant had to be circumcised. And not to circumcise your sons was to break the covenant. Yet it appears that Moses has not had his sons circumcised. The covenant rescuer himself was a covenant breaker. And because the Lord is is holy and just, Moses must die for his disobedience. It's only the action of his wife, Zipporah, that saves him. She quickly circumcises their son and touches Moses' feet with the bloody foreskin. And the Lord relents and allows Moses to live. See, disturbingly, Moses, the rescuer, must himself be rescued by the shedding of blood. Uh, And Moses' disobedience is in further evidence as he gets to Egypt and uh, confronts Pharaoh. And Moses meets his brother Aaron at Mount Sinai and they head to Egypt to meet with the elders of Israel. They tell them what the Lord has said and, and they show them the signs that the Lord has given them to perform. And just as God has said they would, the elders of Israel believe Moses and Aaron. Take a look at verse 31 of chapter 4. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. While seemingly buoyed by their acceptance by the Israelites, Moses and Aaron stride into Pharaoh in 5 verse 1 and lay down their demand this is what the Lord the God of Israel says let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness problem is that wasn't exactly what God had told Moses to do see back in in chapter 3 and verse 18 the, the Lord had told Moses to take the elders of Israel in with him to see Pharaoh and to say, the Lord, 
the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. He was to go in and make a, a, a fairly polite and reasonable request. Let us go for, just for three days. And then in 4 verse 21, as Moses is setting off for Egypt, the Lord says to him, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders that I have given you the power to do. But when we get to the encounter in chapter 5, Moses doesn't take the elders in with him. Uh, and rather than the, the polite, reasonable request for a three-day absence that God told him to make, he rather rudely demands that Pharaoh let the people go for, for an unspecified amount of time. Uh, and he performs none of the signs before Pharaoh that God had told him to do. Uh, Pharaoh, who saw himself as the God in town, took a rather dim view of Moses' demand. There in chapter 5 and verse 2, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Uh, Moses seems a bit taken aback by Pharaoh's negative response, despite having been told by God that he wouldn't listen. So he now tries using the words that God had told him to speak. But notice how he then tacks on his own bonus ending to the words. Look at uh, chapter 5, verse 3. Moses said, The God of, Hebrews has met with, of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. Nowhere had God said that he would strike his own people with plagues and the sword. See, not only has Moses been disobedient, he's now misrepresenting the Lord. Moses, the reluctant rescuer, is also a disobedient rescuer. He's a sinner, like me and like you. And the result of Moses' rather botched meeting with Pharaoh is that Pharaoh ratchets up the oppression to ensure that the people don't listen to him. Look in verse 9 of chapter 5. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. And so he, Pharaoh makes them produce the same number of bricks as usual but he doesn't provide them with a key component for making bricks, the straw. And you get a sense from this just how, how wicked and sadistic Pharaoh is. And the people are not happy with Moses, to say the least. Look at 5 verse 21. May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Literally, you've made us a stench in Pharaoh's nostrils. Thanks, Moses. Thanks a bunch. For the second time in his life, Moses is rejected by the very people he's trying to rescue. Twice he's, he's come to rescue. Twice... He's been rejected. 
and uh, seemingly blind to his own failings, he pushes the blame squarely onto God. Look at 5, verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. See, God calls Moses to deliver his people from slavery. And we'll see over the next few weeks that Moses does indeed lead the Israelites out of Egypt in a mighty work of deliverance. See, Moses genuinely is a giant in the history of redemption. Uh, The New Testament describes him as a hero of the faith. But I hope you can see what this passage is making clear. It's not Moses who is the hero of this rescue. In fact, what this passage makes clear is that the real hero is the Lord. Look at how God responds to to Moses' words. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. Moses, now you're going to see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. And by the time I've finished with him, he won't merely be giving you permission to leave He'll positively be driving the Israelites out of Egypt. Uh, And then the Lord speaks words to Moses that in many ways are the center of this whole book of Exodus. It's worth reading them again in full. Look at 6 verse 2. God said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Did you see the the repeated phrase throughout that? I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. I will bring you to the land I swore. I will give it to you as a possession. See, the Lord may have sent a deliverer in Moses, but Moses is merely the human instrument through which God will save his people. Ultimately, it is God who will save through his mighty power. He is the prime mover. He is the chief actor in this rescue. 
And did you see how that, that whole statement is bookended? I am the Lord. In verse 2 and verse 8, and again in verse 6. See, this rescue is never in doubt because it's underwritten by the unchanging character of the great I am. The God who, out of sheer unmerited love, adopts Israel as his firstborn son. The God who is utterly faithful to his covenant promises that he made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. The God who's determined to bring his people out of slavery and into relationship with himself. God instructs Moses to tell this to the people, but they won't listen to him. Look at 6 verse 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. They would have heard from, God, from Moses God's words to Pharaoh that, God's words that Pharaoh wasn't going to listen. But they can't see beyond their current worsened circumstances. And so they closed their ears to God's promises. And it's, it's easy to do the same, isn't it? Although we know that the pattern of the Christian life is, is suffering before glory. Often the, the way that God sovereignly chooses to work out his salvation plan can, can be baffling and painful for us. I mean, if, if God's church is his beloved people, then why are Christians being, being killed and persecuted in the Middle East? Why, why are their churches being burnt down? Why, why are Christians being, becoming a marginalized and a despised minority in the West? Why, why are things getting worse? And if God has, has rescued me from slavery to sin and has my best interests at heart, then why do I seem to be spending more and more time in Kingston Hospital? And why, why does life just seem to get harder? Yet as this passage shows, not even the darkest circumstances are outside God's control and his rescue plan. And Moses, too, hadn't listened to these words that God had spoken to him. And the Lord tells him again to go to Pharaoh and repeat the demand to let the people go. Uh, but once again, Moses is, is unwilling. Look at 6 verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Since I speak with faltering lips. But the success of this mission will not be thwarted by Moses' weakness, nor by Pharaoh's opposition, nor even by the Israelites' unbelief, because the sovereign Lord is determined and able to save. As we've seen, Moses is a weak and a sinful man. And yet, as we'll see over the coming weeks, the Lord is still able to use him to bring about the great redemption event of the Old Testament. God is able to work through weak and sometimes disobedient people to bring his purposes about. That's great news, isn't it, for us? 
and that, now we have to be careful here, Moses had a unique and specific calling in the Bible as a covenant rescuer. So we can't just draw a direct line from Moses to ourselves and, and read this as though everything that's true of Moses applies to us. However, in, in that greater rescue that this Exodus event points us to, this rescue of people from sin and darkness in Jesus Christ, uh, amazingly, God chooses to work through us, through the church, in all our weakness, with all our flaws, to declare to the world the good news that can redeem people from their awful slavery to sin. We've been entrusted with that task. And if you're anything like me, you'll feel completely inadequate for that task. We feel we don't have, we don't have the right skills. We don't have the courage. We have flaws. We fail all the time. And the truth is, we are completely inadequate for that task. But the greater truth is that our inadequacy is no barrier to God's redemption plan. He is so great that he can and does work through even our weakness for his glory and for the release of those who are captive to sin and death. So trust him. Trust and obey. God reassures Moses again about what he's going to do and sends him back to confront Pharaoh. And we read in 7 verse 6, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded him, commanded them. This time, they take God at his word. They trust and obey. And as we'll see in the next couple of weeks, the Lord is true to his word. Through an astonishing demonstration of his power, he rescues his people and he shows the Israelites and he shows Pharaoh and he shows us who he is. But as the Old Testament progresses, it becomes more and more clear that though they've been rescued from physical slavery in Egypt, they're captive to an even greater problem, one that we've already been seeing in Moses himself. They're slaves to sin. They keep cheating on God. They keep rebelling against his rule. Uh, They're unable to live in relationship with a holy God without incurring his wrath and judgment. See, it becomes more and more clear that God needs to work an even greater rescue for his people. A rescue from sin itself and its consequences, death and judgment. And this greater rescue would need a greater rescuer. It would need a better Moses, a rescuer who's one of us, who's a human being, but a rescuer who actually listens to God and is perfectly obedient to all his commandments. A rescuer who doesn't, like Moses, need first to be rescued from his own sin. And that is exactly what God has provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, no mere human could fill this role. So God himself 
stepped into our world. God the Son took on flesh. He became one of us. Like Moses, he, he was rejected by those he was sent to save. But unlike Moses, he lived a life of perfect obedience. He was without sin. And rather than having to have blood shed on his behalf to cleanse him, he willingly shed his own blood on the cross at Calvary so that slaves to sin like you and me might be brought into an everlasting relationship with this loving and rescuing God. See, that's the great rescue that is open today, not only to Israelites, but to people from every nation in the world. That's the great rescue that's open to you tonight. So as we draw to a close, can I ask you, are you trusting in God's rescuer tonight? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ? Do you accept that you need to be rescued? That there is nothing that you can do to escape this slavery to sin and its consequences? If you want to find out more about that great rescue and that rescuer, Jesus, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Or maybe you want to sign up to a course that we're starting in a couple of weeks, The World We All Want, where you can find out much more about that. For Christians here tonight, it's vital that we keep the truth of this passage front and center in our lives. The truth that it is the Lord who saves and he can work through weak people and through uh, dark circumstances to work out his plan of salvation. Because it keeps us, on the one hand, away from despair and despondency, and on the other hand, away from a prayerless, man-centered self-reliance. And as we go into this week, I'd suggest that this passage calls us to an attitude of humble confidence. Humble because we know that we needed to be rescued, that we couldn't save ourselves. Humble because we recognize that like Moses, we're at best reluctant and weak and sinful, yet confident. Confident because we know that our weakness is no barrier to being used by God for his glory. And confident ultimately because sovereign over this world is the promise-keeping Lord who is utterly determined and able to save his people, who works even in and through the darkest circumstances to fulfill his promises and to bring us into perfect, never-ending relationship with him. Let me pray to finish. Father, we thank you for who you are as revealed in this passage. We thank you that you are the Lord. You are the God who saves. We thank you, Father, that salvation is never in doubt because it is your work and you will not fail. Father, we thank you for um, the rescuer that you have sent 
to rescue us from, uh, from slavery to sin and its consequences. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. And Father, we thank you for this truth that, uh, that you can even work through fallible, sinful people like us to take this, this good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, this good news of rescue from sin and death. And Lord, please help us Help us to trust in that. Help us to trust in you and to obey. We pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen.